Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season two, episode nine, Center Stand. That is the motorcycle industry podcast produced by the Progressive International Motorcycle Shows and hosted on continuetheride.com. This is Robert Pandia, and I want to thank a special sponsor we've got helping us out for this episode, and that's National Power Sports Auctions. Um, we're going to be talking with uh, Tony Alteri. Um, he's the uh, uh, he's the boss. He's the top man here, uh, and he's the uh, vice president, business development, national power. So that's that is not as impressive as saying you're the boss and the top man, Tony. So I, I've officially changed your title. You can let your bosses know later on. Absolutely. No, I, I actually like your title better. Hopefully, it comes with a pay increase. Uh, I'm certain it will tell them two times and your business card needs to be slightly too big to fit into a wallet. Okay. It's just that obnoxious. That, that kind of a title is what we're going to want. So, uh, Tony, uh, we want to uh, welcome you. Thanks for supporting the show. Tony is our only guest on this episode. Normally we have two, but we've got a uh, really important subject to talk about, and that is um, sort of our inventory crisis in power sports. Uh, we're going to be diving into that. Um, if you're on the OEM side, um, listen up because this is going to apply to you. Certainly dealers, this is going to apply to you. And if you're in the aftermarket world, man, there's there's going to be a lot of good nuggets in here for you to uh, make some business decisions. Um, so, Tony, thanks again for being here. Why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself uh, and uh, National Power Sports Auctions, and um, give us that as a foundation, and then we're going to dig in. Yeah, absolutely. First off, I just want to say thanks for having me on, Robert. Uh, you know, I've uh, been listening to the show for, I would say, I'd be lying if I said back to last year, but uh, it's been really interesting to hear the dynamics, obviously, as we've kind of, we've fallen into COVID and how that's that's changed all our perspectives and kind of what things are important. So uh, I feel very honored to be on the show, especially with some of the guests that you've had on here. But uh, NPA, the company that I work for, National Power Sport Auctions, is kind of where better known. Um, we've been in the industry for, gosh, three decades. Cliff Clifford, our CEO and founder, he started mm -hmm. this company um, 30 years ago. Um, and the mantra that he kind of started the company with was buy dealers for dealers. So that's something that we've always carried forward is that we don't want to lose perspective of who our customers are and what our priorities are. And so over the course of time, um, you know, we've been expanding our business and kind of what we cover. But for all intents and purposes, we serve uh, like the broader power sports industry. We work with all of the major lenders, uh, OEMs and dealerships. Dealers are our customers. We're business to business, our auctions and the inventory that we sell. Um, only dealers are allowed to participate. And, uh, you know, we've been selling upwards of 100, 120,000 vehicles on an annualized basis for quite some time. Obviously, you know, what we're going through with COVID has drastically altered um, the number of vehicles that are coming through. But it's it's produced a lot of uh, very interesting data and trends and kind of reconciling that over where we've been, let's say the last four to five years has been, it's been pretty interesting and fun, right? It's a weird way to describe the word fun, but um, you know, it's uh, it's definitely uh, helped us kind of center on what's important and make really, really, really good business decisions about, you know, how we move forward. But NPA has got uh, 10 locations across the country. Um, I could rattle them off, but I'm sure I would forget one. Uh, but we service, uh, gosh, roughly 10,000 power sports dealers across the country. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're really focused on trying to be an integral part of the industry and uh, working with all of those people to help the industry grow. And I think that uh, one thing that um, I've seen out of NPA is a level of approachability to all scales of, uh, of dealerships. It's not just like, you know, big box stores out there. You guys really do um, try and have a dealer's perspective, right, um, on on uh, different types of power sports units and and kind of making everybody feel welcome, whether they're digital or, you know, in, in person or when they used to be in person or, or however it works now. Um, and, uh, and that's one of the things that I've seen in NPA is an approachability. So I want to thank you guys for that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that starts at the top with uh, Jim and Cliff. Um, Jim Woodruff, our CEO, and Cliff, our president. But, uh, you know, we we recognize that we wouldn't be in business if it wasn't for dealers. And so to your point, we uh, we work with dealers of all shapes and sizes, 
single line mom, mom and pops, guys that just do pre-owned and, you know, mega stores, guys that are part of multi-dealer, mm-hmm. multi-franchise locations. So being able to, I, I guess, be relevant and be a good partner for all those dealers is a challenge at sometimes, but um, that's our mission and our goal. It's what we're focused on doing. And it's, it's nice to hear that, uh, at least from your perspective, we're doing a decent job at it. Well, I speak for the entire motorcycle industry, so you know you're, <laughs> you guys are good to go, right? Got, got so, it. All right. Um, Golden ticket. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's exactly right. You just hold on to that. Um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna uh, throw the drumstick through the hole that is the uh, the the beaten thing that yes, everything is different. We know that everything is different. Things have changed so much in this last year. One of the things that probably was not seen coming. Um, unless you were really paying attention on uh, a product manager level, on the OEM product manager level, um, is inventory crisis. Um, you know, this time last year, people were um, starting to realize, holy cow, people are willing to buy motorcycles. Um, and, um, you know, while the whole world was in lockdown, I remember uh, there was a, I think it was a Bloomberg article where the where the uh, the writer literally stopped on a major bridge on a major road in I think it was in Minneapolis stopped took a photograph of not one car on the bridge and normally it was an insane amount of cars out there so it was amazing uh, change that we've dealt with but the um, uh, the current inventory crisis is something that is really going to uh, potentially stress us. And that's one of the things that we've got to uh, readjust our business. So as you alluded to, Power Sports is, uh, is seldom boring, and it's definitely not right now. So given the inventory crisis, give us your perspective on what's causing that, that crisis beyond just a ton of people wanting motorcycles. Yeah, I, you know, there's um, it's something that I talked about a little bit. I did a, a webinar with the guys over at PSB, uh, Power Sports Business News, here last week, and we talked at length about that. It's the the psychological aspect of what's happened to consumers. Um, if you look at the way that spending has changed, um, obviously, is uh, a lot of our options have kind of been limited by by COVID. Um, folks are spending more money on goods. Um, and also things that they can do like, like an experience with their family, you know, with, with so many things kind of in flux and changing and shut down and regulated, um, the availability to be able to, uh, do what you love to do is, uh, come at a premium for a lot of people. And so from, from our industry's perspective, that's driven a lot of brand new folks to our dealerships, which is great. Um, but, uh, you know, getting back to your central question of like, why are we in this inventory crisis? Well, if you think about, the industry as a whole, specifically from like a new vehicle side, we've kind of been static in terms of the number of new vehicles that we're selling on an annualized basis. The MIC yeah, since is, about yeah. 2009, we never really fundamentally recovered from that that big dip, right? And power sports Absolutely. essentially had plateaued for a while. Yeah, so so you know, as an OEM, as a manufacturer, you know, somebody who's manufacturing parts. It kind of makes uh, budgeting what you're going to do, I don't want to say easier, but uh, it makes it fairly predictable. And so if you think of it from the perspective, if you've got a you know, a conveyor belt and it's producing 100 widgets a year and it's static for 10 years, you're always budgeting to make roughly 100 widgets. And you know, you, you allocate for shifts in that 5 10%, 15% if you're really worried about something massive happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you have something as dramatic as COVID hit, what happened is, you know, basically the supply chains were were severed and it was a, a relatively short amount of time. But but anytime you completely stop manufacturing, you slow down um, the markets of industry, even for an instant, that, that has a massive impact. It's like if you're on a bike and you're, you know, you got a handful of throttle and then you reach down and grab front brake, like it's that's bad news. But if you right. slow down slowly... Um, you can you can adjust you can you can make changes in that but for all intents and purposes everything shut down so as things started to ramp back up you know capacity was still very much constrained and with all the new regulations that were happening um, the availability for people to work and whatnot uh, those supply chains that were producing let's call it again 100 widgets they were now making 50 60 70 percent and mm-hmm. all of a sudden demand shot up as well too so 
you know, when you've got a capacity limited 20, 30% off of what it normally is, and all of a sudden demand spikes to 150, 170%, You've got exactly what we have in our our industry, which is an absolute crisis for inventory. So it wasn't for any lack of planning on the OEM side or any dramatic mistake that everybody made. It was the necessary adjustments that had to be made at the time. And even coming out of that, uh, coming out of this, uh, what I would call the the dramatic and sudden stop and the severing of the supply chain, um, everybody's tried to ramp up, but all the regulations governing that um, trying to get employment, all of those things have continued to be exceedingly difficult for mm-hmm. uh, manufacturers, dealers, everybody, everybody in business. It's it's more expensive, it takes it's harder. Yeah, and I, you know, I've seen it being in the on the PR side of the industry for twenty plus years, and you know, basically was. Uh, introducing, you know, new motorcycles. And and this time of year, we would be photographing the new model motorcycles that we would be introducing, you know, in the summer and that sort of thing. So what I've seen is um, a, a quick reduction in the number of SKUs or variables or, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, variations of a particular platform if a new one comes out. So that's that's shrunk down a lot. Um, but that has put a huge emphasis on used, and that's that's your bailiwick. That's the that's the main uh, world you guys live in, and uh, the the need for used motorcycles to sustain dealerships that still have to pay rent, that have to you know deal with their business is uh, is even more important. So. Give us a little bit, give us as much insight as you can, if you would, even on a, on a technical end, um, talking about um, maybe uh, uh, wholesale prices, uh, the trending there, uh, and um, and how maybe we within the industry are even price shocked a little bit and how we have to adjust our perspective. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, one of the things that happened, you, you talked about it up front was, uh, we kind of went into this brief hibernation where everything kind of shut down. And then all of a sudden, when uh, things started to slowly creep back open, all of a sudden demand for motorcycles shot through the roof. And it was about this time last year. And we saw that in the pricing trends. Um, obviously, you know, we're looking at a few thousand transactions on a monthly basis. So we're able to see what's happening much quicker than your average dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I think that also leads into the point that you made, made um, kind of throwing this over to me, which is there is some sticker shock for many dealers. Um, you know, prices typically peak for us uh, in the spring. They start to tail off in the summer and then uh, they kind of hit the trough or the bottom of the market in fall and in winter. And it's like that every year. It's, it's very, very consistent and dependable. And prices shot up, um, you know, 15, 20% last spring uh, versus the prior quarter. And they just kind of stayed there and continued to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And it was because there was so much demand. Um, a lot of what's happening with pre-owned today and the pricing has to do with the fact that there is no alternative. Mm-hmm. So if I walk into a dealership and I want to buy a new bike, it's just not there for me. So there are not only more consumers looking for pre-owned inventory, but there's also more dealers sourcing pre-owned inventory in the wholesale marketplace. And that's not only through the auction, but that's off of buying off the street or working with other dealers across the country. And so prices for pre-owned vehicles at every stage, not only in um, what I would call the retail segment, but also in the business-to-business sourcing segment, they've shot through the roof. Um, The perfect example is uh, I was looking at a 2018 Road King uh, in winter of 2019, the bike had a book of, let's call it 15 grand, and at auction, wholesale value was selling between 11 and $13,000. That same bike today in uh, March of 2021 is selling at auction for sixteen and $18,000. Mm. So, so you've got you know a 30% increase in pricing. And if you think about a typical dealer, that's probably more margin than he's used to making on a bike like that. So when dealers Mm. tell us, you know, hey, the prices that you guys are selling stuff for, that's more than I can sell at my store. That's reality compared to where prices were a year ago, a year and a half ago. And so some of us in the industry, particularly dealers who are dealing with consumers, they have to understand that there's 
there's a price resetting that has to be done because the cost of goods sold have risen so dramatically so quickly. And they shouldn't be afraid to do that. You know, kind of in the the pre-call when we were we were talking through different things and handling housekeeping, we talked about it a little bit where, you know, a lot of dealers, um, they don't see the amount of transactions that we do, right? So mm-hmm. our perspective at NPA allows us to see a little bit farther down the road a little bit quicker, right? I mentioned it. I get to see thousands and thousands of transactions on a monthly basis. And because I get to see and consume all that data, I can tell you, hey, this is where the market's heading and this is what stuff is priced at. But if I'm a really, really good dealer and I sell a lot of pre-owned, I may sell, I don't know, four, maybe five of the same exact vehicle on an annualized basis. So the data points that I'm using to make price assessments on where I should be placing my retail values, I'm hindered as a dealer unless I'm tapping into those other data sources to be able to understand what's happening beyond my dealership floor. And that that is one of the benefits of what we have and what we try to give dealers to help them understand what's happening out there. So, uh, you know, you how much of this data are you sharing with your with your partner dealers out there? So value guide, which is the the primary tr- method in which we share all this information, mm-hmm. it aggregates all this data. It works 24 mm-hmm. 7, 365. And if you're signed up, if you're a member dealer at NPA, like you have free access to it. So you can dump in whatever vehicle you want, VIN, your make model and look up value. We mm-hmm. also have services where dealers can take their entire inventory in what we call a VIN dump and pump it into our system. And we'll push back actual like cash values or market values for those vehicles today. So for for dealers who are um, aware and uh, in tune with these tools that are available, they can make these assessments weekly, monthly. And I mean, in the, the current, you know, state of affairs that we're in, in terms of where inventory is and, you know, how expensive everything is, my suggestion to dealers would be they should be doing this like an inventory aggregation and valuation at the end of every week, take a look at what you got. I mean, you know, most guys are running 30, 40, 50% back in terms of the number of bikes on their floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are much, much more dramatically impacted than that. But you you should, if you're a good dealer and you, you want to stay in tune with what's happening because you don't see, you know, the a thousand dealer, the thousand vehicles that we sold in Cincinnati last uh, Wednesday, but I do, you can still access that data and then you can make an evaluation. I had a guy in Florida, he came up, I was down there in our Lakeland facility last month and uh, he walked out of the auction, I would say about midway through, and he said, I'm going to raise all of my retail prices, $1,500 on all my bikes. Mm-hmm. And it was because the pricing was so strong in the lane. Mm-hmm. And unless you're in tune with kind of what's happening in the marketplace, uh, it's very, very difficult to make that kind of adjustment. And yes, there's like this transition period where, you know, somebody may have come in your store and seen a bike for six grand and then they come back a week or two later and now it's 72 or 7,500 bucks. But the reality is where else are they going to find that bike? And if you're a dealer, um, you know, you have to be actively adjusting your, uh, the way that you're sourcing inventory, because if you're not, you could end up in this weird conundrum where you're like, I can't afford to buy anything, but I, I have nothing to sell. And so you you have to stay in tune with where the market is ebbing and flowing. And uh, I, I think right now it's a very it's a very precarious situation that many dealers find themselves in because we're entering that traditional season where we're kind of on the backside of spring, prices typically start to drop off, but we haven't seen any of that happen yet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as as we are uh, clawing out of pandemic and mask res- restrictions are changing and, and people are starting to feel, you know, a little bit more free out there, uh, from NPA's perspective, if, if that pricing is, uh, is staying up, um, do you guys project motorcycling to continue to be an attractive thing or are you guys projecting to where, um, you know, cause I, you know, you and I talked a little bit about how in, in the near future, there may be a lot of used motorcycles, you know, starting to pop up on the market. So, so as you project forward a little bit, what kind of, what's your perspective on, on, uh, 
a kind of the state of the motorcycle industry. You think, you know, I've let, let me back up. Let me just say that I feel like that there was a really strong ripple that happened because of COVID. And I think a lot of people, not just new riders coming in, but a lot of people who were former riders were like, oh man, there was that thing I got to do out in nature and I didn't have to worry about wearing a mask. Are you predicting that we're going to have a, a continuation of that trend and there's an opportunity for motorcycling to become more popular or is it uh in in your perspective just something that it's going to be a blip and we're going to go back to this plateau we were at well i i think it's a it's a paramount question i'll be honest with you like if i if i had the direct answer to that i'd be a lot richer than i am today. both both of us would yeah. that's why i'm pumping you for information tony yeah, well, I figure I, I, if if I could figure it out, I'd hire you as my PR guy, and then we'd retire somewhere. <laughs> somewhere right? um, no, I, so to, to here's what I think. Um, based on all the data and everything that we're looking at, um, you know, I think there's a couple key things. Number one, if you talk to dealers, which I know you guys have, and obviously we are, you know, we're constantly surveying, you know, the thousands of dealers that hit us every month. One thing that seems to be consistent is that, you know, 50 to 70% of the customers, to your point, that are walking in dealerships are either brand new or people who have not participated in the sport in 5, 10, 15 years. So there's a lot more riders, right? That was one of the central questions we had leading before the pandemic as an industry is how do we get people to ride motorcycles again? Um, turns out the answer is you just need the end of the world and then they'll start riding. Right. It's perfect. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you've got a lot of new riders. Um, so that's one thing that bodes well for the future. Secondarily, when you think about inventory, we talked about new inventory and used inventory. There's roughly a million new transactions and about 2 million used transactions on an annualized basis. And that number can fluctuate and has for the last 10 years between two and a half and three million vehicles. That's every year. So if you think about it from the perspective of used being somewhat constant, the difference is, is that more of that inventory is now getting drawn out of garages, getting taken off of Craigslist or Cycle mm -hmm. Trader, and is now being um, transacted between dealers. So mm -hmm. the OEMs are selling new vehicles and allowing people to take those in, on, the dealers to take those in on trade. Lenders are having more inventory to write um, originations on. Dealers are having more inventory to sell. But we're not necessarily manufacturing more used bikes. We're just pulling them out of that, what I would call that black hole of driveway to driveway transactions. So that now as an industry, we can actually see them happening. Mm -hmm. So I think with supply being fairly constant, because we haven't seen a, you know, just a, uh, what I would call a, a dump of new vehicles being emptied into the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Yes, we've sold through basically everything we could produce, but it's not like we sold five times as much as we ever have before. So in the short term, and, and, and to be fair, and to be fair, some of that was dated inventory a year yeah, ago from now. Some, you know, a, a, a bunch of that was stuff that that uh, OEMs uh, were planning on incentivizing and didn't have to, right? And so, um, uh, I mean, there was a, there was a nice clearinghouse effect that that sort of happened, right? A absolutely, I think you're totally right. Uh, right now. Um, you know, dealers probably have uh, the cleanest floors they've ever had before. There's no more problem children that have been there, you know, 180, 360 days. So, yeah, there, there's I mean, this thing has definitely erased a lot of sins, uh, which is great for our industry. But uh, I think the, the the question about what happens with inventory, I think with all the new riders, I think the fact that there's so many people have now been exposed to motorcycling, side-by-sides, personal watercraft, off-roading, however you want to phrase it, um, that there's a lot more people paying attention. And so I think in terms of whether or not we have too much inventory in the pipeline four, five, ten years from now, I don't see that happening And based off of where we are today. And it's because supply chain and manufacturing and even OEMs, they're being very, very careful with the way that they – spike back up um, inventory. They, they don't want to do it where we get into a situation like we were before the financial collapse where they've got warehouses of vehicles sitting idle. They mm -hmm. want to do this methodically and make sure that we can build into it. And like I said, with used being somewhat constant, I think we, we've hit a new pace from uh, an industry's perspective. And I think that it bodes well for the long term because we've always argued that once somebody gets into this sport, they're likely 
not to leave because it is such a tug on the heartstrings. It is full of adrenaline. There is so much passion in it. And uh, it just takes somebody throwing a leg over a bike or jumping in a side-by-side. And it can be life-altering. It uh, becomes part of who you are, who your family is. And I don't see people exiting the space uh, in droves once they get a taste of kind of what we all know is uh, all about power sports. You know, I read an article about there was a similar bump in towable RVs, right? So for a little while trying to get a, you know, a Bambi sized uh, Airstream or just a single axle towable um, RV trailer was almost impossible. And it had a ton of, you know, it bumped up a ton and that sort of thing. The reality is, is once you get into that, you've got some money sunk into that. And yeah. you've kind of made that commitment a little bit. Um, and, um, and and this article uh, was speaking a little bit about predicting that, well, you know, families have bought in and there's still this, you know, there's still going to be a little bit of a stigma about like going to a concert, for instance, or going to, yeah. you know, spending, going to a movie theater, for instance, right? There's still going to be a little bit of that, like sort of heebie-jeebies around, you know, being in a crowd. Um and uh, so, therefore, this outdoor recreation opportunity is is still going to be there, um, probably for longer than than what we think. And the easiest way to look at that, at least in the RV industry, is to start looking at uh, reservations. How far out are reservations booked, right? Um, and so, I think that uh, what are some of your other indicators? um for for the strength you know maybe maybe you can give us a little bit of a you know the keys to your crystal ball is um that sort of indicators for for uh future um interest in motorcycling what do you what do you look at you know maybe even as a business but what are what's kind of like some of your secrets that you're willing to share yeah so i mean you know there's obviously short-term and long-term things that we that we watch you know, obviously, we're we're keenly watching what happens with uh, new inventory. You know, the MIC produces a lot of reports, and that stuff's great. But I think I think also when you start going beyond just our our industry, and I think you hit on some of those things, where you know the the impacts of COVID they, they had a lot more psychological impacts probably yes. than anything else. Yes. And yeah, th- those psychological changes, the changes in p- what people value, their habits, those are long term changes. And so, you know, the the point that you made about um, going to a concert, being in a large crowd, like, yes, there will be some people that go back to that, but um, there'll be a lot of people that don't. And during this period, especially when, um, you know, we've been able to increase our exposure as uh, as an industry tenfold versus where it was prior to COVID, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those people are going to stick around. It is a long-term commitment because it's not like... um, it's not like buying a brand new driver and playing golf for the first time in five years. Um, it's, it is a massive commitment and mm-hmm. not something that people do lightly. Um, you know, but I think the big thing, uh, when, when we stretch this out is, uh, the financial indicators, number one, like what's happening from an economic perspective in our country. Um, you know, we, we entered COVID in probably one of the best runs economically that we've had, uh, in our country's history, at least in the last 20, 25 years. And I think, um, that's continued through the pandemic, um, you know whether or not you're a person that's in favor of what's happened with the um, the stimulus packages and things like that, some of the changes in tax codes, those have helped a lot of industries and people in terms of injecting uh, money back into the economy and exposing people to to new things, new experiences, new goods. So all of that I think has worked uh, to our benefit. And I don't think that the economic landscape, barring any massive changes in regulation, um, I don't think that's going to change in the next three to five years. I think we're going to continue to have a very strong economy. And so that's going to mean people are going to have discretionary income. I think we've already started to fall back into this underemployment issue where, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we just we can't find people to work because some people have good jobs or the cost of acquiring new employees is so high. Um, And those. Those are all things that um, I think we look at too, like macroeconomically. Yeah, I think the the it's it's one of the areas that um, you kind of uh, hit on there is uh, within dealerships. It's going to be tough to get personnel. Yeah. Um, you know, people have discovered, you know, just by by force that they can be creative and make money in other ways. I know in the restaurant industry, it's really hard to get wait staff because you know people have learned how to do something else 
because they were, you know, they were sort of forced, uh, you know, to do that in that time. So, so I think that's one of the areas that's, uh, that's really going to be a challenge and that's going to hit, I want to hit a little bit back into, into your business, um, in the sense of the types of used motorcycles, you know, I have like 13, 14 motorcycles I get to play with and, and they never all run Tony, the, the, the day that they all run and I could just walk up to them and they fire right up. Probably the next day I'm going to have a heart attack and croak. I need, I need something, I need a project to pull me ahead. So I got to imagine that your the inventory that, that is coming in to dive deeper, to get some of these dusty, bikes out of garages um for multi-bike owners to go like you know i don't i don't really ride that bike that much and used values are up and i might be able to make a little bit more money you know selling this thing than what i realized that's something that i mean dealers need to help cultivate that that's not something that npa can do by themselves right um so what what is your message to these dealers to like kind of get some of these dustier bikes out and to maybe not be too petrified of of the cost of 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 goods and servicing and getting that bike back going and this is where the aftermarket of course plays in but getting um you know getting these bikes back into streetable legal condition you can't be as scared of that is that right yeah no i think that's a that's a key thing right is the if you look at the average person that owns a motorcycle or a power sports vehicle they typically own multiple and so if you're a dealer and you know, you're know you in crisis for inventory, you should be actively um, advertising both online, in your stores, in every way that you can that you want inventory. And it doesn't matter what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Get people in your stores, get them talking to you, create a relationship, make a customer. Um, and I understand today that, you know, the, the big drive is obviously for inventory. It's not lack of customers, but that, that dynamic will change eventually. And to your point, um, you know, you've got to be able to take anything on trade. You have to be willing to uh, put a value on anything that comes in your doors and you have to be willing to talk to a customer about their bike. That's 10, 15 years old. I mean, it's, it's insane to think about, but, you know, we hear all the time, we have uh, 12 guys in the field that they do nothing but, um, visit dealers and talk to dealers about ways to engage with us, how we can help them, those kinds of things. And they tell us all the time about these weird scenarios where they're in this massive store um, and the store on the floor now has bikes that are 12, 13, 15 years old sitting on their floor because they need inventory. Um, And so the dealers, to your point, that understand the dynamics of uh, the fact that it doesn't matter what it is, it's a bike and there's somebody out there that wants it. But in addition to that, the guy that owns that thing is a future customer. That's a lead six, eight months down the line. Exactly. That, I think I think that's a key point, right? It's a, it's yeah. If I've got multiple bikes and I sell one of my bikes, you know, I don't see it as like a bike I sold. I see it as, oh, man, there's a hole in my garage that I'm going to have to fill back up at some point, right? And uh, and this guy's going to come back. Eventually, he's going to come back to uh, um, to want to, you know. Uh, replace that dirt bike that he sold or, or or whatever it was. So I think that there is a great opportunity if you kind of get your head up and look past the front fender, look, you know, around the around the corner a little bit more that uh, um, you're going to turn an old customer into a repeat customer again, probably faster than you would just letting that happen on a on a natural basis, just by giving a little bit of a little bit of a kick and 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 reaching out to them. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it too, the the availability of um, that person becoming a connection point. So if you think of individuals kind of like like a node and we're all part of a network, but if I don't have a connection point with that customer, I never connect to that network. I mean, as, as crazy as you know our, our world is with technology and how fast we can access data and information, inevitably, if, if I need a plumber, I'm gonna talk to somebody that I know that just had a plumber and ask if that guy was a good plumber. And if he was, I'm probably gonna reach out to him. So when when you're dealing with customers and when you can develop a relationship, even if it's taking an old bike from somebody and giving giving them fifteen hundred dollars for their twenty two year old, you know, whatever, right. um, that's that's a relationship point. And now that becomes a positive experience. Now when that guy needs parts and services for his other bikes, he comes to you. When somebody asks him about, oh hey, you know, I saw that you did this or where did you sell yours or where are you going to buy your next one, 
the reference point becomes that dealer. And so those those relationships are key. Um, we need to continue to grow from a dealer perspective, the number of people that are interested and engaged with our industry, because we don't want to find ourselves squandering this massive opportunity that's in front of us right now to continue to grow the industry. So there's there's a new, to your perspective, there's a new position within the dealership, and that is acquisition staff, mm-hmm. right? And um, that is probably going to be somebody who speaks carburetor to some degree or who can, uh, you know, quickly evaluate, look at a motorcycle and know that it's full of rotten gas or it's going to need this or it's going to need that. But that's going to be a new talent that's going to be needed out there that's kind of in between sales and, and, and service is that. Uh, have you, within your business, be, given the the you know thousands of units you're dealing with there, is that uh, a skill set that that is out there, or is that something that the industry needs to like sort of facilitate more? Yeah, it's it's a great question, um, and some of it um, goes back to some points that you made earlier in the conversation, which is, you know, a lot of dealers lost staff when they were forced to shut down. Mm-hmm. And even now being back up and running for some time, it's a common complaint that we hear from dealers. It's like, I just don't have enough inventory to to support all of the sales guys that were on my staff prior to this. You know, we I was in a dealership in Denver, big dealership, um, and he was telling me that uh, he had uh, seven full-time staff on his floor when things were rocking and rolling but because inventory is down, you know, I think he told me he's down 60% in inventory mm-hmm. that he really can only keep three, four guys on the floor because there's just, there's not enough bikes to go around. Um, And what he was doing with the other three to four guys on a weekly basis is they were literally scouring the internet, scouring Craigslist, all the, you know, the different platforms trying to find inventory because the reality is a salesperson, A, has some psychological advantages. They know how to Mm -hmm. talk to a customer and work a deal. B, they typically are pretty passionate, enthusiastic about power sports. So there's a certain level of credibility and authenticity. And then the last point is the point that you made is they, they speak motorcycle. They, they know. So when they reach out to, you know, someone who's got a motorcycle for somewhere on one of those platforms, um, they can talk to them from the perspective of passion and enthusiasm because they share all of those things. And that's a great way to keep your staff, whether it's service riders or salespeople, um, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where you just don't have enough inventory to keep all those people coming back, it's a great way to to pay your staff because instead of trying to sell what's on your floor, they're out there trying to grab inventory, and it's there. It's just it it takes work to get grab it, and I think that's that's one way to not only a keep good people employed and in your store, but b um, help solve some of that industry crisis that's affecting a lot of guys. Yeah, and then right there in your own DMA, you're sucking out used inventory that's not going to be there in the future. So it's just going to help you sell that new stuff whenever all of a sudden, you know, the port of Los Angeles opens up and all those ships can finally offload. And you know, <laughs> and the the tires that have been on back order for the longest time finally show up and you can, you know, get, get stuff going again. So... So I think that's a key point is to realize that the, you know, that ripple effect of what we do now is only going to continue to to help us in the future. I think I want to go back to a little bit about what you're talking about in, in, in projecting the future. I think one key thing to pay attention to right now is the fact that, that uh, the Fed has basically indicated that that borrowing money is still going to be cheap for a while. There's still a sense of of uh, we got to keep interest rates low, um, especially if costs of things are starting to go up. You know, uh, 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 housing construction costs and things like that are 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 are, are going up. So that uh, you know, money is cheap, right? And yep. so uh, uh, we're in a we're in an interesting situation there. Can you speak a little bit to to financing and what you're seeing out of out of bigger lenders and and some of the finance companies out there? Yeah. Um. So the, the, I'll talk about what's happening at retail first, which is um, most of the major banks that we work with. Obviously, um, you know, we're handling the repossessions, bankruptcy, the things that go bad. The that is at its lowest point in probably a decade. Wow. Um, Many of the banks, just like the dealers, OEMs, everyone um, had banner years from a sales perspective, uh, you know, or I should say, better put, origination perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the losses were way down. People have money. Um, and so the availability to offer financing is probably more competitive than it's ever been. 
Um, in talking with many of the lenders, none of those dynamics have shifted uh, at all. If anything, they've gotten better mm-hmm. where uh, there are record lows in delinquencies. Um, there's record lows in uh, actual repossessions and defaults. Um, and so it's created a, a very weird dynamic because there's this whole sub industry that exists on the backside of of lending, which is you know how you handle the deals that go bad. Um, and right now the, the deals just aren't going bad anymore, which is, which is great. Don't get me wrong. It impacts businesses like ours in terms of inventory. But, um, from my perspective, the more paper that's being written, the more deals that are being done through dealerships, that's, that's a great way for our business on the back end to grow down the line. Um, I would rather have that happen than the reverse, which is all of a sudden we have some catastrophic economic event that causes floods and floods of repos to hit the market, which was not um, foreign to a lot of people. A lot of people thought might happen when COVID hit. The reality is it hasn't. On the commercial lending side, so those guys that are giving money to dealers to floor vehicles, because there's no inventory, there's no origination volume for them. So a lot of the commercial lenders are are uh, are going through some very, very tough times because to your point about, you know, funds being so cheap, uh, you know, Guys can get money pretty easily and pretty quickly if they need money to floor vehicles, mm-hmm. but because inventory is so low and is turning so fast, um, there isn't a lot of need for commercial financing. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, from the perspective of whether or not that changes, as long as the interest rates remain low and there isn't any other, um, let's call it regulatory hurdles that are imposed, like by the CFPB or something like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the lenders that are in our space are going to continue to do very, very well. The challenge is going to be that the same challenge that, you know, that my business faces and that the OEMs faces were reliant on the dealers um, to become more proficient at sourcing inventory because um, there's just less of it out there for them to sell. And every every customer that walks in and walks out without a bike, that's a deal that none of us get to touch. I think that's... You know, if we elevate this up a little bit bigger than just the motorcycles, you sit there and you look at a dealership and you're like, wow, you know, I've, I've, I've never been able to borrow money, le- uh, you know, cheaper. I'm making good money on the bikes right now. My staff is probably down a certain amount. There's a certain efficiency that happening that's happening. What a great opportunity to invest in the dealership itself, just, you know, to make the, you know, make the place pop a little bit to upgrade the uh, service equipment to um, maybe invest a little bit in your own staff, you know, to aid in retention for a little bit of, uh, you know, staff training and that sort of thing, that it's a chance to kind of deconstruct your dealership a little bit, um, invest in it and and be there uh, as part of the motorcycle community. Yeah, I mean, you, you hit it on the head. I, I think a, a lot of folks, um, you know, we did a similar thin, thing within our sales organization as well, too, with, you know, during the pandemic when things were pretty much locked down and our our outside sales guys really couldn't go into a dealership and talk to anybody. Um, we we invested in a massive uh, training program and it spanned, you know, I think uh, six months, eight months. Um, and it was a huge investment at the time. We weren't really sure we were willing to make it, but um, it's paying dividends already. We've had three tremendous months in a row from a volume perspective that none of us could have anticipated. And a lot of that is due to just, it's sharpening the sword. To your point, it's reinvesting in the business. You know, some of those raw goods that it takes to, you know, build out an expansion or, you know, uh, get new lifts um, or invest in new tools and equipment. Some of that stuff is very, very difficult to source just like the bikes are. But, um, you know, I think your point about, taking advantage of a good crisis. I, I know I'm putting words in your mouth, but um, you know we've got an inventory crisis. What can we do to make the dealership better? Um, I think good business owners are, are doing that today. They're trying to find ways to make themselves more efficient and take advantage of those opportunities. If funds are cheap, how can we invest somebody else's money to make us better? Um, if we uh, have the availability to get more flooring, maybe we can pay more for, for used inventory that we're buying off the street. So examining all those, those different verticals to be able to see what's doable in the short term um, I think is key for guys who are wondering, you know, where the next bike is going to come from. 
And I think that, and I know this is not the core of your business here, but it's certainly something that you guys participate in through various sponsorships and that sort of thing, is community. Uh, there's a community of dealers out there. There's a community of riders. There's uh, the uh, the community of riders is diversifying in a way that that we haven't seen in a long time with a lot of new riders out there. So uh, maybe you can uh, shout out to your marketing department a little bit. Like what is what are some of the things that uh, NPA is doing to kind of push that community message, whether it's at whether it's at, at that wholesale level or the you know the communications within your network or or whatever is like um you know we can't just have our head down and be trying to move hardware at a certain point we have to uh we have to move hearts and minds right we have to get people connected with brands in a compelling way so what what are some of the things that npa is doing to that end yeah you know i think you hit it on the head with the word you know connections right yeah um our industry is like a big high school uh, everybody kind of knows everybody. They know the names. Um, but they rerun in a lot of the same circles. But to your point about you know expansion and this amazing opportunity, you know one of the things that we're keenly focused on and that we've engaged in with a number of OEMs and industry partners is education. Um, so a lot of the things that you know we kind of hit on today, we're delving very deep into those topics and helping dealers not only just like from a philosophical perspective, but like tactically, how do you do this? You know, how do you approach it? How do you work a deal? How do you take a trade? Um, you know, where should you be doing your social media and working with those industry connections to be able to deliver a message to the to the dealer that will help him or her be better at their job and engage more people? Mm-hmm. You know, for those of us on the business to business side, we don't have an opportunity to uh, to work as frequently with consumers um, to be out there public facing. And so we're we're reliant on the dealers to be the best version of themselves that they could possibly be. So this aspect of education and, and teaching folks, I think, is it's it's paramount for those of us that that, that aren't on the the customer side. Um, you know, we're hosting an event down in Lakeland with uh, with Harley Davidson Motor Company, and we're bringing mm-hmm. in dealers and talking about what's happening and you know pre-owned and their new certified pre-owned program. These are all things that are interconnected. But I think doing our part to your point about um, trying to uh, work together to make the dealers better, um, I think, is is the best way that people like us, NPA, on the backside uh, can help the industry and help it grow. I think one of my personal issues with the motorcycle industry is a fear of constructive criticism. My my personal background is as a photographer, and in art school, you learn that criticism was a tool that made you better. And, uh, you know, if I was at a track day and a coach came up and said, Hey man, you can go around that corner faster. If you were to just do this and this, I would thank that coach, um, you know, for that, uh, input and I would try it and hopefully I would go faster or be more confident on the track when it comes to business within motorcycling. I've seen far too often where people are like, yeah, 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 I got it. I don't, you know, I don't need your perspective. And I think that, now is uh, uh, one of the most amazing times to um, learn a lot um, because of the ripples of the of the changes we've been dealing with, and the fact that you know every dealer is in the same boat out there. Every dealer is looking for, for inventory, so um, you know you can see what other dealers are doing. There's always a sense of competitiveness around there. But the reality is we're we're all on this same ship and we are selling to enthusiasts and new riders and we want to keep that growing. So I hope that um, uh, dealers don't kind of put that wall up around themselves and and realize that there's a, a chance to improve. And be no, better. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a you, it's a it's a great point. Um, I think from from what we've seen in the dealers that we've worked with uh, in these mm-hmm. events and kind of our experience is that um, there's a there's definitely an openness um, to your point about the situation that we're all in with trying to find inventory to sell. Um, when you're in crisis, you're a little more open to hearing about suggestions about what should happen. Um, and right. crisis is probably a strong word, but um, the reality is we are seeing more openness from from dealers than we've ever seen before. The number of customers, the sheer volume of dealers that are working with us, uh, whether it's through you know selling or buying inventory, sourcing data and information, attending our educational things, it's at the highest point at any year in my tenure at NPA. 
So I think those are all good signs that um, dealers are recognizing your point, which is um, I can't live in my bubble and get through what we're going through. This is a new challenge. And if I'm going to confront a new challenge, I have to have a new solution to be able to do that. Well, Tony, we asked the same question of all our guests at the end of the show, and you, you've, you've strummed some of these chords throughout the entire interview, so I, I appreciate that, but I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going to give you a microphone. You're standing in front of the entire body of dealers out in the motorcycle industry, and uh, let's say a whole bunch of our aftermarket friends have snuck into this meeting, and um, and you have a chance to speak to the entire motorcycle industry at one time and give them a tip or two. Uh, what is it you would like to say to them before I send in the hook and pull you off the stage? <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and it's a good visual because it does, I think I've started to perspire as I'm picturing this in my head trying to think. No, about yeah, it. yeah, I'm getting, yeah, the whole goal is to give you sweaty palms, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it, it, <laughs> you can check that box. Good job. Um, what I would say is um, we are standing um, in a unique position, a position that none of us would ever find or thought we would find ourselves in, where there is a massive opportunity that lays in front of us. It, there are challenges um, and there are things that we're going to have to find very unique and different solutions for, different than we've ever faced. But it's not an insurmountable challenge. Um, you know, the biggest obstacle that we face today is how are we going to find all this stuff to sell to all these people who want to buy it? We have people beating down our doors, asking us questions, wanting to know more about us, what we sell, who we are, what we're about. What a great problem to have. And the solution is to work together. It's to talk about what's happening. It's to be open to share data and information, um, to work with Dealer 20 groups, um, to talk to our industry partners, to gain perspective so that way we're prepared to meet the challenges that lie ahead together rather than alone. There you go. Communications is key, just like any relationship out there. I want to uh, thank Tony Alteri for joining me. I want to thank National Power Sports Auction for uh, sponsoring this episode. Um, I think you guys heard in that there is a genuine and true passion for motorcycling at NPA. It's not just a matter of uh, uh, just business nuts and bolts and you know dollars and cents. There's a there's a true passion for power sports. So, uh, Tony, thank you very much for your participation today. We sure do appreciate it. Thanks, Robert. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Did man. So uh, as always, you can follow IMS on LinkedIn for news uh, from us and IMS Outdoors. That season's going to be kicking off in Northern California uh, in mid-July. So make sure you check that out. It's all outdoor venues um, and lots of demo rides and completely re-swizzling uh, what you thought IMS was all about. So we can thank COVID for kicking us out the front door, out where we get to ride motorcycles in some of the most beautiful parts of the country. So um, check that out at MotorcycleShows.com. Um, if you're interested in more about NPA Auctions, that's easy, www.NPAauctions.com. Um, they'll have all kinds of links and you get to see how their uh, mechanisms work. Um, if you have any topics you would like us to discuss on the uh, upcoming um, episodes of Center Stand, reach out to us directly, imspr at informa.com. And free newsletter, absolutely free, from me to you, from me and the entire IMS staff. Uh, free newsletter is available at continuetheride.com. Once again, Tony, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. And a auctions uh you guys are uh are great uh pillars of our community community thank you very much for that and we will see all of you down the road Peace.